So today I'm going to give you a bit of a final phase update. For those of you who don't know, the final phase was a campaign we launched in, I think, October. I can't remember exactly. And uh, it almost immediately plunged into obscurity because of other things that were happening. But the final phase, in short, is to develop the first floor of the building next door. You will remember, if you were here, that in 2016, in October of 2016, we opened up the ground floor there. And uh, the mayor was here, time of great celebration, great joy. And boy, has that been put to good use. And I want to recap on this, this whole challenge. I want to just put it in the context text of the story, our redemptive story, but also uh, I want to remind you of the challenge So, with, with, with the ultimate goal, and here's the punchline that we'll finish the task. That's what, that's what I'm really wanting to speak about. So first of all then, uh, you know, when Fliss and I and the family uh, you know, started uh, the church back in uh, whenever it was, 87, 88, you know, we came with a, what we believed was a mandate from God. And that mandate, that, that, that charge is exactly the same as is now. And if you've been here for more than five minutes, you will have heard us talk about Isaiah 61. And so I want to start with that because all of the final phase, all of what we do is in the context of God's kingdom and his manifesto, his declaration about what we as the people of God, indeed Christ himself, was about. So. Turn with me, if you will. It'll come up on the screen. Use your smart devices, whatever is, is to hand. And let's just read Isaiah 61 and remind ourselves of uh, the first four verses. If it sounds familiar to you, well then, you know, applause. Jesus used this very passage in Luke chapter 4, right at the beginning of his ministry. And it was his sort of declaration of intent. So Isaiah 61 says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities and that have been devastated for generations. I could go on. It is a wonderful signature passage. A wonderful signature passage. You may care to, do, to read that over again and go on a bit. Uh, this afternoon or something. So this is what we're about. We are people of the kingdom. We worship Jesus, who is the king, and we are enrolled in the family business to do the works of the kingdom and extend his kingdom. And, and what I love about this and what excited me first when I first you know, became a follower of Jesus you know, I became a Christian when I was 12 or 13, but then it, was, it wasn't until I was in my 20s that suddenly the import the weight, the magnitude, the privilege of what God was calling us to be uh, really sort of broke in upon me. But what I, what I love about it is it's not just turning up at church on a Sunday. I, I, I'll be honest with you, um, you know, I had no interest in turning up in a church or any church 
or anywhere on a Sunday other than the golf course or whatever, you know. But when I realized that we weren't just playing at religion here, when I realized that actually God was calling us to purpose, life-changing, eternal purpose, I got excited because I was one who was looking for family, I was looking for connection, I was certainly looking for a heavenly father. That may not be your experience, but it was mine. But also, I felt I was, I felt somehow I, I, I wanted to do something significant. And suddenly I found this God had this plan, this vision for humanity and his world. And so I was excited to get in part, involved with that. So, you know, today I want to spend a bit of time saying, how are we doing? You know, what's, what, how are we positioned? What's, what's our community? What posture is our community in? Has the, the community, our city, this region, this nation seen what God has in store yet? Well, I'm going to let this little video clip answer that question. Thank you, guys. The truth is that the city, the region, the nation is still waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Now, when I think back to you know, the beginnings of this church, and prior to that, as you know, I was in the Anglican church, and there was much happening and great stuff happening. And we have accomplished things. You know, the church in England has accomplished extraordinary things since then. But there's still a ways to go. We've not reached critical mass in God's purposes for this generation yet. We've not broken through. You know, since we opened the place next door, I'll be honest with you, we've had extraordinary opportunities. You know, you, you remember the story, no doubt. Well, let me remind you of the story. You know, we found ourselves in this place probably four or five years ago now, where, you know, this church was a great church. It, uh, you know, it was really a comfortable place to be. It was an enjoyable place to be. There was good fellowship, good coffee. Uh, we were enjoying what God was doing among us, and we were having some impact in the local community. But then God spe started speaking to some of you before he spoke to me, I'll be honest, about that we really needed to expand. I thought, well, expand, you know, what, what do you mean expand? You know, we've got this huge, great warehouse here. What, what more do we need? I mean, it nearly killed us getting that, you know. Expand. And people kept coming up to me and saying, God is saying that we need to enlarge, you know, we need to, Isaiah 54 kept coming up, you know, we need to enlarge the place of our tents. And my wife was on it from the very beginning, but I was pretty resistant to it, I'll be honest with you. Not because I don't care, but there were other things that were kingdom priorities for me. But anyway, finally, I, 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 I felt that God was actually in this and that we needed to look at this because God had plans that were beyond ourselves, beyond what we were thinking of doing. And so, you know, we found ourselves studying Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. And let's just look at that now. Let's just remind ourselves. Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3 say this. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. And then there was a word which was very important to me. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. I was worried. I was fearful. I thought, you know, it was a miracle to me. It was amazing to me 
that God had been able to do all this. And the, you know, church was rocking, but to, to, to put it all on the line, to, 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 to risk it all into just getting more space didn't make any sense to me initially. But what God has done, even in the last 18 months, has been amazing. You know, this last year, um, Kev just sent me an email uh, about our children's ministry. Now, as you know, the first floor next door is really designated as a youth space. And boy, do we need it. But, you know, the numbers are staggering. So, for example, in total attendance of children in 2016 was 8,907. In 2017, last year, that increased to 10,168. It's exhausting just thinking about it. Registered children in 2016 was 457. Last year, 2017, it was 520. 520 kids registered? I mean, that says something about our church demographics and the kind of people that we're attracting. We're multi, you know, we're multi-generational as well as multicultural, multi-ethnic. But we have a preponderance of, of, of young families. And you know, this wonderful facility we built next door, we've spilled out into the atrium. That was never part of the original plan. That is, yeah, he gives, got a clap. Yeah, give him a clap, super. That, and that is high maintenance for us. It works well on a Sunday, but it means that we have to get a team of volunteers to set that all up before the Sunday. And then the team have to set it all down because we have guests coming in for our compassion ministries first thing on Monday morning. Boy, that is labor intensive. That is hard work. And what has happened in terms of our profile, our influence, our, our, you know, what we're able to model and offer and give to the community? Well, we are the go-to organization as far as um, you know, the police are concerned when it comes to safeguarding issues. 160 people of you went through safeguarding training last, last uh, Sunday. And, and that just knocks it out of the park as far as voluntary organizations. Uh, in the last you know, week, 10 days alone, we've had, uh, we, we had uh, Hearts Welcome Syri Syrian Refugees. That's an organization, it's its name. Hearts Welcome Syrian Refugees. They came here in the presence of the mayor to uh, uh, have their AGM. It was a wonderful evening. We were amongst the very first organizations in Hertfordshire to say welcome home to the Syrian refugees. Now that's a little catchphrase, you and I, thank you. Uh, you know, that's a little catchphrase, welcome home. That's something we say to one another. That's something I may have said to you, uh, even this, this morning I just said, welcome home to Jesus. You know, hearts prepared for him. But we said that to the Syrian refugees and uh, when they first arrived in this area and they, they were shell-shocked and, and it really connected. It's so emotive. And there, here were people who had been displaced brought to a foreign land with nothing but the shirt on their back and to come into a culture that they were concerned about, about worried that this culture would reject them and what they were gonna find to be embraced by us as a body of believers. Some of you were there in that, on that occasion and have these people say, welcome home. We were expecting you. Welcome home. 
It was profound. It was kingdom. It was a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough. And they came back last week to celebrate all of that. Um, we've had the St. Albans and Hartsmere women's. This is just the course of a week, 10 days, you know, week to 10 days. It's going on all the time. But this last week, we had the St. Albans and Hartsmere women's refuge come. They've, they've had two of their refuges shut down. They've lost funding on it. They are desperate for all the support and help they can get. So we are hosting them as they run their courses now, doing a six-week course. It's wonderful to welcome those those predominantly women, I have to say. Well, it's a woman's refuge. That's probably why it's predominantly women. Uh, it's well, wonderful to welcome them. And again, everything we do in this place is in the name of Jesus. You remember the story I told you when Ocado, who's one of our major supporters of our, of our you know, community food bank, you know, they, they loved what we were doing, but, and they wanted to write us, us to write a, port, a report, and, and Emma, I see, sat over there, she wrote a, a a fantastic report, which went to their national board as part of their kind of year summary. I mean, this is a multi-million pound company. But they read it, they said, that is absolutely fantastic. And you said, photographs as well. Just a little thing, could we, you know, we, we don't sponsor, we don't, uh, we don't do God, we try and, you know, keep out of that thing. So could you just remove those, you know, Christian references? And so we said, oh, no. Thank you. So they said, and they're not used to having people say no to them. So they said, well, we'll, we'll withdraw our, our funding then, our support. So we said, fine. Anyway, three weeks later, they came back and said, oh, all right then. <laughs> and all those references were kept. And the next thing they know, all, they bought us a van. It's got a cardo splattered all over it, but it's a refrigerated van. It's 30,000 pounds worth of refrigerated van, you know. And they are now just so solid with us. You see, all of this is redemptive kindness. It's not just Christians being nice. Christians have a reputation for being nice. Boring, but nice. We are not, we may be boring, but we, and we, we are not just nice, this is redemptive kindness. We are about making Christ known, amen? amen? We are about everything we do is to extend his kingdom so that this community, this region, this nation knows that there is a God at work in the community building his kingdom and welcoming all who come. Tomorrow we've got uh, uh, Christians Against Poverty, a national charity running a life skills course here. It does include budgeting. By the way, all of this stuff is open to you. You know, It's not that that's for them and you have to sort of find some other way to get through life. You know, All of this is open to you. The food bank, you know, there's no shame in this. That's open to you, you know? But, but we, we are intentional in making a space on kingdom terms that others can use. And it is being used, which provides us with all the more pressure, all the more pressure, you know, to, uh, to finish the task, as it were, to finish the task. So how are we doing? Well, we started back in October. We launched the thing. And uh, to date, 
We've had th three things happen. First of all, uh, you, you know if you've been here over the last six months, I've not pushed this. I really haven't. There's been times when I've really pushed things. I have not pushed it. We've had other things going on. And I've just felt before the Lord that I just had to trust him that the money was going to come in. But, but you know, uh, and, and in that time, 156,000 pounds has come in without me banging the drum, rattling the tin, or anything else you care to do. We've not had one car boot sale, one bake sale, nothing, no grants or anything. That's your financial sacrificial giving. The other thing is two, two good things, and that's good, 156 is good, but the two other good things, we got planning permission. We suddenly discovered, it was a bit of a shock, I have to say, that we had to get additional zoning for the, the new stuff up there. And we thought, oh my gosh, because you could, you know, if you know the story, it took us months to get zoning for that. We thought it would be easy, but it was difficult. We, we got that almost on the nod. So the, we've got the zoning now to develop the first floor next door. And then the third thing is that, uh, what's the third thing? <laughs> the third thing is that it's lovely. <laughs> I've forgotten what it is. What is it? The what? Air conditioning, thank you. Thank Jeremy, thank you, mate. Yeah. We thought we had a 750,000 pound project because we were gonna to have to spend a quarter of a million pound on the, the heating and the uh, cooling in there. As you know, at the moment we've got these, these effective but terribly smelly uh, gas heaters next door. And they, they are expensive to run and they're not very efficient. What we had not realized was that actually the builders who we've worked with for some time had already put in half the ventilation. I mean, Trevor, you probably knew this anyway, but they put in half the ventilation to spec when we did the ground floor. So suddenly, what was a 750,000 pound project has become a 600,000 pound project. Way to go, you know. So thank you, Lord. But as you can hear, we've still got some, we've still got some ways to go. And, and truthfully, let's get on with it. Let's, let's do that. So what, I, what do I want you to do? Well, first thing I want you to do is to take your little pegs, your stakes. And I want you to remember Isaiah 54. In fact, it's a bit small. Isaiah 54 is, is on there. What I want you to do is I want you to take these home and I want you to put them in a conspicuous place. You know, uh, if you are in the habit of having a, a quiet time, a time alone with God, I hope that you are, well then take this into that place because this is a reminder for you to pray. You know, these things have to be one in, in the presence of God first. They have to be one through prayer first. Some of you may feel prompted to fast. We can all pray. We can pray. And I want you to just know that God has put into your hand a tangible reminder for you and your household to pray that God will extend his kingdom here, give us greater opportunity. So that's the first thing. This is a prayer prompt. The second thing I want you to do is that on Easter day, and I'll remind you on the day, on Easter day, I want you to take these stakes and I want you to take them out of your garden or if you're in a, an apartment, you can put it in your window box or, or even a you know, pot on the windowsill if necessary. But what I'm really seeing is this people, us all over this region, because we gather from a very large area, all over this region, I want you to go out. You can go out to your park if you like or whatever. And I want you to knock these stakes into the ground. 
prophetically. Lizzie was talking about us doing something prophetic. A lot of what we do is, is practical and helpful, but when we, when we give you know, somebody a cup of water or hot chocolate or feed somebody, you know, that's a prophetic thing. That's saying the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. We are not confined to this 55,000 square foot here. What God wants to do is extend his kingdom all over this region and in faith and in prayer and together on Easter Sunday, we will take these things and we will put them in our garden somewhere as a prophetic statement that all over this region, God is enlarging his kingdom. He's taking back that which is his. Amen? Great. That's what I want you to do with that. And don't let your kids poke each other's eye out with them. All right? Great. Secondly, give. We need to raise 350,000. Is that right? Yes, about 350,000 pounds more to get this thing done. And I want to say to you about that. Some of you are wealthy. You've been afflicted by affluence, as I'm often saying. I'd love to help you with that, that, uh, that, that plight. You can give. You may have given already, but truth is you you, you could probably give again. But for every single person here, you may be on benefits, and you're thinking, well, I can't do anything. I want to say to you that what God looks for is sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. So if you are afflicted by affluence, I want to challenge you, and I want to say to you, what would cost you? Because giving out of your you know, your, your, your extensive resources, you know, giving a significant, some may be, but to be honest with you, it's not going to really make a huge amount of difference to you. You know, that's great. We, we will take it. But the truth of the matter is what God is looking for is a heart that is willing to sacrifice. Now, if that is the common denominator in all of our giving, it does not matter if you are a single parent, God bless you, on benefits or you know, the CEO of some FTSE 100 company. Because as a single parent, you know, struggling, you can make a decision whereby, well, you know, this week, when I go to town, I'm not gonna buy that cup of tea or that latte, and I'm gonna give that money. It may just be two pounds 20. It's what? It, it, it's the heart. You know, that's the, that's the essence of Jesus' teaching when it came to the widow's might. You know, sometimes I say people, uh, you know, come to me. Once in a blue moon, somebody comes up to me and says, well, it's just the widow's might. And I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, it, it's all I can do not to challenge them. Because that's almost an offense. Because I, 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 I'm, I'm sure that what they are throwing into the pot is not everything they have to live on. You see, Jesus' teaching in that moment was that there were rich people putting in money with great display, and this poor widow came in and put two very small coins. What Jesus said about that woman, it was everything she had to live on. That's why her gift was of far greater values in a kingdom perspective than the, than the wealthy people. Now, I'm not dissing you if you're wealthy. Flissy and I are at that age where we have resources. So I'm, you know, it's only bouncing back on myself, you know, and we have already given to this and are giving on a monthly basis. But I want to just challenge you, wherever you are on the sort of uh, economic scale, please go away and pray that God's kingdom will come and that we will finish this task. But please pray too about what you can do. And my challenge to you is 
Make it, may it have the tinge of sacrifice about it for you, whatever your resources, and because that's a gift that is acceptable to God. That is true worship. Okay? So give. Second, uh, thirdly, serve. Get involved. You know, we... we uh, we, we did a kind of volunteer Sunday a few weeks ago, and that went down well, and that gave a great boost to our, our service, our volunteers. But the truth of the matter is a place like this runs on volunteers. It, you know, when we had the snow day, and we had to, a couple of years ago, we had to sh- shut the church because of the snow. And I got some flack from people, actually people who'd come, you know, and I understand that they'd fought their way out here, but they, and they were seriously miffed that the church was locked. And... They sort of emailed me and said, you know, what's that about? You know, we could do it. Why couldn't you? Well, it wasn't about me. The fact is that this Sundays does not happen for us unless we have about 60 volunteers on site every single Sunday in every single ministry. Now, one of us, two of us, 10 of us might get through, but we can't run church without 60 people. And to ask 60 people to fight their way through the snow and the ice and all the rest of it, you know, little churches with one man and a dog running the show, they can do that. Go there. But it's hard for us because we can't safely get everyone from all over this region in to do that. So I'm saying that to say this, we need your help. And, and so please don't just come in and leave and have a nice coffee and all the rest of it. God bless you. This is home. I want you to feel that you can do that. But the truth of the matter is, you know, this is the family business. This is not some religious spectacle. This is the family business, and we all have a role to play. Currently, I just happen to know this because I was talking to Maria Mar, our children's pastor. She was saying that we, we, need, uh, we need front of house people at the second service, this service, front of house people, people who will you know, welcome people when they come through the door and check them in. Because at the moment, she and her team who are trying to care for the kids and trying to do an age-appropriate um, you know, a program. I mean, every time the bell goes, I have to run and drop everything to let people in who've come late. You know, guys, we just need some help. We just need a little help here. You're part of the family. You're part of the family business. So please pray about that. If you're not already serving, you know, think and pray about that. You can go on the website. Get involved is the, is the banner thing, and that will give you volunteer opportunities. And then finally, love one another. Love one another. Pray, give, serve, and love one another. It said in that video, didn't it? Give, serve, love. And I put the prayer thing in before. You know, I love it when I hear, and we hear this frequently, when people visit our church for the first time, and they say, I mean, honestly, people say this. They say, I heard about your church. I made up my mind to come. I got to the entrance, I got to the entrance of the estate and I nearly turned back. People are nervous, people are anxious, they, they don't know what to expect. Are they going to be judged? Are they going to be expected to do things that they don't know what to do? Etc., etc., etc. But I love the stories which usually go on to say that I came in and I was welcomed. I came in and my kids were loved and cared for. They want to come back next week. I came into the worship service. One guy, a friend of mine, uh, uh, he talked, he he didn't know the right word. He said, I came into the speaking hall. He called this a speaking hall. I love it. It's non-religious language. 
So I came into the speaking hall. And during the worship, I don't know what was going on, but I was really embarrassed. I said, you were embarrassed? Why is that? He said, well, I couldn't stop crying. People come in and they've moved. The presence of God here. They feel like they're, they're in a strange place because they're just not used to this, but it's a safe place. At the same time, there's a tension there. Because God is pouring his love out upon us. And we are learning, not there yet, but we are learning to love one another. We are learning to love one another. And Jesus said, did he not? The world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. Love is costly. It's not Hollywood love. It's not, you know, uh, the kind of thing we are used to seeing on our TV. Real, true love, Christ-like love, is always sacrificial. There's that word again. We inconvenience ourselves for others, and we forbear with one another. Caring one another, caring for one another, lifting one another up. And that's the kind of community that I want to be part of and that you have let me be part of. And I hope the truth that that is reciprocal. So those are the, that, that's, that's what God, in my mind, is about at the moment. And we must pray for more that this region might know that Jesus is Lord. We know it in this place. But let this region know that Jesus is Lord. So finally, the overall challenge is now finish the task. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 to 12. I'll have the band back up now, if I may, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 to 12. Here is my advice. So interesting. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, you know, well nigh 2,000 years ago. Same kind of challenge, same kind of issue, same kind of message. Paul says, here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. They were taking up an offering for a famine for the church that was hard-pressed in Jerusalem. And he was appealing to the, the churches outside of Jerusalem. We need to help these guys. We need to think outside the box. We need to think beyond our four, our four walls. We need, to, we need to understand that the kingdom is for all. So there we are. Let's finish the task. Pray. Give. Serve. Love. Let's stand and pray. Father, I want to say thank you. Truth is, many of us have been in this, on this journey in this, this community for some time, and I don't think any of us knew what we were letting ourselves in for when we first started, Lord. When we saw, I remember coming down here with some, some of our people when we first bought this place. It was an old car workshop. And Lord God, the truth of the matter is, what for some was an old car workshop, you've turned into holy ground. People have found Jesus in this place. People have left this place to carry Jesus into their communities, their homes, their workplaces. They've reached out to other organizations that are struggling and partnered with them, believing that kindness can be redemptive and can make Christ known. So help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be faithful in prayer, in giving, in serving, and in love. 
let us finish the task. You said we would not be ashamed. Don't let us be ashamed in this, Father. May we finish the task. In Jesus' name we pray.